thankful and privileged it is to be here and uh, thankful for this church, thankful for a lot of friends in the room that I see, thankful for Brother Gravely, Miss Gravely, what they mean to us. I tell them all the time that he's my pastor, and I mean it. If something were to ever go sideways in Sylacauga, which we hope it don't, it's going well so far, but if it does, uh, we'll probably be heading this way. And I love this place. I love this preacher. Sure am thankful for the impact that he's had on my life. And uh, I'm telling you, you got a great, great preacher, and I know you know that. Well, I want to do something a little bit different, and that makes every pastor nervous, but I promise you it's not going to be bad. I want to talk to you tonight. I have a burden that is on my heart. I come with a burden. I come excited, but I do have something that is on my heart that I want to try to help you with, that I believe that the Lord is helping me with, and it's something that we all go through. And when I say what I'm going to say, you're going to wonder where we're going, and I promise you it's going to be just fine, okay? But I want to talk to you tonight about regrets. Amen. Regret. And the reason that I want to talk to you about regret is, although it does not sound spiritual, it sounds unspiritual, also to pretend like we don't have them is unrealistic. The weight of regret is more heavy than you and I ever thought it would be. And when I see these young people and I think about this great church, if I could help you avoid regret, that would be one of the greatest blessings of the night. And so I want to look together and I'll give you the title and I want to just do something a little bit different. Normally I like to get right at it and try to just go. I want to just take my time tonight. I want to be a little slow. That doesn't mean long, it just means slow for me. And I want to just walk through some things. And if you'll forgive me at the outset, the front, whatever you want to call it, some of it's going to sound a little bit like a journal entry. Uh, I tell you, the Lord has really, really been working in my heart in these matters, in these areas. And let's just face it. There is a lot of areas of life that do not get a lot of attention because most of the time we are too proud or we are too insecure to admit that we're struggling in some of these areas. But it doesn't mean that we're not struggling in some of these areas. I want to look at David tonight, and I want to look at him in this light. David makes the right response to regrets. The right response to regrets. This past Thursday, I left Sylacauga at 3.45 in the morning on purpose, headed to the Bremen, Georgia area, uh, thinking and hoping and intending to do some work outside of my parents' house. The Lord has opened up an opportunity for us to go to Israel next year, and I'm trying to just make a little extra money and thankful for the doors that the Lord continues to open. And they said I could come over there and do some grass cutting and some weed eating. And if you know anything about our church, grass cutting and weed eating is something I do. 24 acres worth of it, and the Lord has blessed us uh, to keep all of that looking good for His glory. But 24 acres pales in comparison to 64 acres. A 13-acre lake with a dam on two sides that's completely sloped, it turns out to be about 14 hours of weed eating. And I found something amazing. You can do a lot of talking to God in 14 hours with a weed eater in your hand. Come to find out, he can do a lot of talking to you as well. 
And while I was intending to work on the outside, the Lord had a plan the whole time to work on the inside. He began to do that. Try to walk you through, and I'll cut a little bit of the personal stuff out just because I know that uh, this will be accessible, and I certainly don't want to paint nobody in a bad light. Not going to air any dirty laundry, just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But let me paint a picture for you. When you come in the driveway of my parents' place, like I said, 64 acres, wooded in pasture in a lake, and uh, if you go down the driveway and up the driveway one time, that's about a mile. So that's what we're dealing with. And when you come down the driveway, before you go down to their place, if you look to the right, they have a rental house right there. But it used to not be a rental house. It used to be the place when I was growing up where my aunt and my uncle lived and my two cousins. You go down the hill a little ways, and before you get to their house, there's another rental house right there on property. And it used to not be a rental house either. In fact, it's where my papa lived, my grandfather. And for a couple years, we all lived with him. My dad was building a log house. He was about him and probably three other men. He had a back uh, car wreck, had a terrible back injury. One of his helpers had a heart attack. Thing ended up taking seven years to build their house. And so during that time, we lived in this house with my grandfather. I'm telling you all this to say that when I came to the property that day, uh, just memories started flooding in. And I'll tell you this, young people, you'll never understand it till you live it, but going back to your parents' house as an adult is a strange phenomenon in itself. It just don't quite feel the same. There's something weird about knowing they changed your diaper on this table, now you're eating on it. I mean, it's just some weird things that take place when you're in this kind of situation. But man, today is just, there. that day, Thursday, was just, man, it was heavy. Just memories coming in, not just of my childhood. I had a great childhood, but just my whole life. Things that I've done, things that I've not done, things that I wish I would have done. And surprising to me, uh, a feeling that I've not felt a whole lot in my life, but I'm telling you, regret washed in on me. And I'm talking heavy. And the thing about regret is that usually when the tide of regret rolls in, it doesn't come along. It usually brings things like guilt and shame. And it can overwhelm a person's soul in a matter of minutes. I got to thinking about these things, and honestly, I might as well just go ahead and tell you, the house where my aunt and uncle live, for whatever reasons you call it life, I'm not here to divulge all of that, but it's been a long time since we've even talked to each other. Our families used to be close, used to go to Disney World and Gatlinburg and baseball together, hunt together, and now, for whatever reason, we don't even hardly see each other. And I know when you grow up, that becomes life, but there's just a little bit more to it. It seems like there's something that has came in that has caused us to not be as close as we once were. I think about that house that my grandfather lived in. And I thought about all the times, different things that he asked me to do that I never got around to doing, although I was going to, or some things that he wanted me to have, or some things that he wanted me to take in in my life, and I just never did it. And what I'm trying to get you to see is regret is real. Regret is real. I know there's going to be a great danger. In fact, I see probably four preachers in here already thinking, well, you know, regret is looking in the past, and Paul said we're not supposed to look in the past. Well, that's not exactly what he said. 
In fact, I'll give you this, and uh, she's no preacher, but I'm telling you, she's pretty good. Miss Corey Ten Boom said that gold of the past must be mined and beaten into coins to be spent today. And the truth of about it is that looking back and not doing anything about it, that could be dangerous. But looking back and learning something from it and making changes might just help your future life. And I got into thinking about all kind of things. I don't mean to take you down a memory trail, but I'm sure things are already flooding your mind and flooding your heart because the truth of the matter is we all have regrets. We all have regrets. I'm telling you, I rounded that corner. Man, my mom's probably going to watch this. I'm about to confess a sin right here. I feel like on live TV. She's probably the only one watching, but I know I'll probably hear about it. Man, I remember the woods, man, just seeing different things, areas I played in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever go back? Man, I've seen trails that are barely visible, but we used to ride our four-wheelers down here. Here's the sin part. God, please forgive me. God, help my mama. Don't let her have a stroke when she sees this. But I remember the place where I about killed myself because I stole one of my grandfather's cigars and tried to do what I saw him doing. It about killed me. I threw it down. It caught the woods on fire. about ruined everything. That's what sin will do, young people. But I tell you, man, just different things. Different things. Honestly, there was no reprieve. The first conversation I had when I put the weed eater down was just catching up with family. And you know how that can go sometimes. Hey, how's so-and-so? Well, how are they doing? What are they up to? And unfortunately, it seems, I'm sure like in everybody's family, there is a large portion of my family, especially when it comes to relationships with us, that seem to really have just been deteriorating for a long time. And it seems like that bitterness and anger are literally eating up my family tree from the inside out. There's people that are mad at each other. There's people that have died, and people all they want to do is argue over what they can get from what that person had. There's businesses that have been dissolved. There's vacations that have been stopped. And I'll be honest with you, Uh, just to be just transparent, man, dealing with regret can feel like a hurricane at times. You know it's coming, but it's still a long ways off. But then you see it coming, and it's getting a little bit closer until you have a ride to work, an evening at home alone, somewhere where you're just thinking, and, man, it floods over you to where you think that literally you can't breathe. Regret. Regret. To be honest with you, tonight I feel like an emotional hurricane held together by a suit and tie. I tell you, the Lord has really been working in my life. And you say, well, you're not that old. I turned one day older, one year older today, and I feel like I'm getting a little older. But when I walked in, they sang happy birthday to me at the church. They asked me how old I was. I told them 32. And they said, hey, before you know it, you're going to be 60 years old. I said, hey, how long does it take to get 60 years old? He said, you blink about twice. And it seems like you're there. Seems like you're there. Chances are that to some degree you've probably felt how I feel tonight. Don't, Don't... think that we're going to be all doom and gloom. We know the Lord's going to help us. We're going to get to the good part. But we might as well just do some of the hard work of looking inward and admitting that there are things we wish we would not have done. There are things that we really wish we did do. There are relationships that could be bettered. 
There are homes that could be tighter. There's a whole lot of things. And to be honest with you, to just admit regret and do nothing about it is going to be a royal waste of your time. And so let's listen tonight with the intent of letting the Lord help us. Letting the Lord help us. I started reaching out to people that Thursday. Sounds crazy to you, but I did. I started texting people, calling people, quizzing them, interviewing them about regret. I wanted to know what other people were thinking. Some people my age, most of them older than me, some preachers, some people in ministry, some uh, blue-collar workers. In fact, I talked to uh, my mom. I didn't really bring it up to her, but she worked my whole childhood, and then she stays at home now. She does not work outside of the home. And just a whole lot of people, a whole lot of different backgrounds, And I just want to point something out to you right here at the beginning. Young folks, please listen before you start writing notes to somebody. Don't let me miss. Don't don't miss it. You don't want to miss this. Not one person that I talked to, none of them, nobody, not one person when I asked them about personal regret mentioned anything about things that they do not have or money that they did not make. That did not come up one time in any conversation. And I talked to several people, and they were honest and told me several things. And I won't tell you everything here tonight, but nobody said, Hey, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have put more hours in away from family. I wish I just had more toys to play with and trucks and things. And all those things are well and good. But at the end of your life, that's not going to be one of your regrets. It probably wouldn't surprise you to know that very few of them even mention anything that they had to face in their life or things that happened to them. Most people can understand that the things that happen to us in this life, especially if you believe the Word of God, are ordained by God in some form and in some fashion. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So nobody wanted to talk about what they had to face. Nobody mentioned what happened to them, but the overwhelming majority of them listed two things. The mistakes that they made and the opportunities that they did not take. The mistakes they make and the opportunities they did not take. I pressed a little more. I wanted to get some more information. And here's what I found. That most everybody that has regrets, their regrets are connected to a relationship in their life. A relationship that's in their life. Now everybody gave me this first answer probably because I talked to all Christians. But most of them said, you know, I wish I'd have done more for the cause of Christ. And we all do. We all want to do more, don't we? I'm looking at some seasoned saints and they're thinking, boy, if I had the strength I had when I was your age, I wish I'd have done more. And we all can do more, by the way. But beyond just what they could do for the cause of Christ, here's some things that I heard. I wish I would have spent more time looking at my children. I wish I would have spent more time, don't miss it now, with my parents. I wish I would have spent more time with grandpa and grandma. Some only believe, and for a long time, because I was, I'm telling you, just feeling guilty about things. (laughs) Feeling shame, feeling regret. 
And I literally tried to talk myself for hours that this is probably just an attack of Satan. That's what this has to be. And if it was or if it's not, the truth is this. The things that I regret are actualities in my story. So whether they're an attack of Satan or not, they're part of me. They're who I am. They're things that make up my life. I began to pray and ask the Lord He would help me, and I began to write a couple things down, never knowing if I was really going to preach it or not. But I tell you, I believe the Lord wants to help us with this tonight. In 1 Chronicles 22, you thought I left you hanging. We're there. 1 Chronicles chapter number 22. David is giving instructions, and he is providing the supplies to his son Solomon for the building of the temple. I've even preached a message about that to young people, about how we can prepare the next generation. And while this chapter is wonderful, the truth of the matter is this was never David's intention. And this was never what was in David's heart. And this is not what David wanted to do. You say, what do you mean? He wanted to build the temple. It was in his heart to actually lay the groundwork, to build the walls. It was what he wanted to do. It's what he wished he would have done. You say, what happened? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, you should read that beautiful chapter. David is expressing his desire to build God a house. God is promising David that he's going to build him a house in Jerusalem and that family line will always be heir to a throne. And in chapter number 7 of 2 Samuel And David has this overwhelming want to do something for God. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, it seems that David's chance to do so was extinguished. He commits adultery. He murders an innocent man. And God lets him know that he's not going to be the one to build his house. He speaks of the innocent blood that is on his hands. He speaks of the great wars. Now, I just want us to think about this for a moment. I wonder what blood and what wars he's talking about. David killed Goliath and God said, you can build me a house. David killed a bunch of Philistines and God said... You could build me a house. David killed a whole bunch of enemies. In fact, the ladies thought it was ten thousands. And you can build me a house. But when David shed innocent blood and he betrayed one of his own, God said, that choice is going to keep you from building my house. Now to read the Bible with rose-colored glasses like sometimes we just go right through it, I don't want you to miss the amount of regret that David must have felt. You say, well, where does that regret show up? All through his writings. All through this chapter. I do want to leave you with this because I don't want to depress anybody. David may have not have buried his regrets in his writing, but thank God he also didn't let his regrets bury him. David is honest. And in 1 Chronicles 22, David is going to make the only right response that he can 
to his regrets. Let's read these verses together beginning in verse number 5. Are you with me tonight? The Bible says, And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord, notice these words, must be exceeding magnificent. Not a word we're used to using. But boy, David thought this house has got to be something. And I don't want to beat a man wise down, but you better listen tonight. It could have been something. It could have been everything he wanted it to be. It could have been exactly how he planned it out. But choices always have consequences. Don't ever forget that. And so David is sitting here talking about the greatness of the house. But then he looks over and says, Oh, the youngness, the, the youth of my son." So he decides to take action. Look what he does. He says, I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, here's the first time you'll start to see it. He says, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about." For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build an house for my name. And he shall be my son. And I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. David begins to speak again. Now my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou. And build the house of the Lord. See how it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, verse 12, and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. Notice verse 14. Now behold, in my what? In my trouble, he's still not over it. It is still all over him. Hey, build the house. Hey, you're going to have to build the house. I wanted to build the house, but I wanted something my flesh wanted more. Now I can't. You've got to do this. He's telling him, follow God. Be spiritual. Be strong. Be steadfast. Can I say it this way? Be all the things I wasn't. At the moment that this happened. He says, in my trouble, now I am having to prepare for this. I prepared for thee. And he goes on to tell him all the things that he's going to add. And he tells Solomon this at the end of verse 14. And thou mayest add there too. I want you to see that in this chapter, we have David making the only right response to regret. Let me make that make sense to you. 
past regret can never be absolved and it can never be altered. That's the harsh reality of what we're dealing with. You're never going to go back and have a conversation. You're never going to go back and undo a choice. You're never going to go back and right a wrong. That is never going to be able to be altered. But what you can do and what David did is acknowledge what he had done and then take action to make sure that he never did that ever again. Where you and I are standing tonight is between a regret that follows us and possibly a future regret if we don't make the necessary changes. If we don't make them. David did the only thing David could do. I can't build it, but I can go prepare for it. I can't lay the stone myself, but I can lay this in my son's lap. I'll never erect this temple, but I can educate my son and tell him to watch out for the things that got me. And that, my friend, is the right response to everything that causes you regret. To look back and learn on something. To look back and see the kind of person you were when you made that choice. The kind of decision making that you have. And understand that if you don't want to regret something 10 years from now, you got to change. you got to change. The dedication psalm for the temple is Psalm 30 which again reveals David's right response. I'd like to read it to you. These are familiar verses. This shows David on the other side of it. He's beginning to see that although the regret is heavy, the regret does not mean that he can't do anything. It just means that there's some things he's got to work on. Here's what David says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, that thou, and it says, I'm sorry, from the grave thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance. I want you to see this now, not just of his grace. He said, sing praise at the remembrance of His holiness. This is how we know David is starting to come out of those waves of regret. He's starting to see not only that God is gracious, but that God was right all along. And that's when we start getting help. Look what he says. He says, for His anger endureth for a moment, and His favor is light. He knows what this verse means when he says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? 
Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord. Be thou my helper. Look what he says the last two verses. He says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Do you see the shift? He acknowledges the darkness. He praises for the deliverance. He knows that he's been in a bad spot and that he's done bad things, but he also knows that he has a great big God who only does wondrous things. And he knows that while he will live with regret, he doesn't have to stop living. He can live and rejoice in what is to come. What is to come? said at the beginning, I'll say it now, and you and I stand right now in the middle, the middle ground of regret that follows and the ground where possible regret comes in the future. Now by saying what I've said tonight, I don't mean to nitpick every little thing you feel bad about. There's a lot of things I feel bad about. There's some things I don't feel bad about, I probably should. But I'm talking about those two or three things that really cause you to be sorrowful. That cause you great amounts of regret. And the whole goal in preaching tonight is this. That from this point forward, you can do something different. Or ten years from now, you're only going to have new things that you're regretting. I'll tell you what helped me is that 10 years from now, is coming. Whether you change or not, friend, it's coming. The only difference in the next part of your life is going to be the differences that you choose to make with the Lord's help. You say, what do I do, preacher? I don't want to live a life full of regrets. I have some, we all do, but I don't want to turn around 10 years from now, my kids be gone out of the house, me and my wife barely know each other, no purpose, no drive. How can I avoid this altogether? I want to give you three super, super simple things that will be the hardest things you've ever done in your life. Number one, stop the cycle. Stop the cycle. You say, what do you mean? Let your regret that you're feeling right now lead you to repentance and refocus, not self-destruction and rebellion. Now, I've tried to be nice, and I'm a nice guy. I don't know where we got this idea that I'm the mean camp preacher and the mean all the time. I'm not mean, but here is some truth for you to take. To acknowledge that you have regrets that still bother you and things that you wish you could change and would do different and then to leave this church and not do anything different, that is an act of rebellion. That is rebellion. You are going to leave repentant and refocused tonight or you're going to leave a rebel. To know that there's things that are not right, things undone, things that need to be fixed up and shaped up and healed up, and then to choose to not do anything about it, friend, that's crazy. That's right. 
That's insanity. That's wanting something different but doing the same thing over and over and over again. I don't want to get you to feel sorry tonight. I'm not just trying to tug at your heartstrings. I'm trying to get you to pull the strand that unravels the quill on everything that is causing a blanket of grief over you and do something different. You got relationships that needs to fix? Fix them. Things ain't right in your home? Get them right. Things ain't right with the church? Get them right. Things that you think you could do different, do something different. Things you wish you would have done but haven't till this point, it leads me to number two. Not only stop the cycle, you got to quit. Something's got to change somewhere. To raise your hand and say, well, I know this and I know that, it's got to stop. But number two, I would say this. Start whatever change you need to start right where you are Amen. right now. That's right. I told you they were simple. I never said they were easy. You and your wife not doing right? Grab her hand tonight. Come down to the altar. Yep. That's a good place to start. Amen. You haven't looked at your kids in their face. You've been letting them play on cell phones 24-7, video games tucked up in their room. That probably don't happen in Georgia. It seems to happen a little bit in Alabama. Why don't you walk in and just say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I've not been doing right by you as your parent. And I want to take interest in you. And I want you to know that I see you and I value you. Hey, kids, I'm coming to you. Things ain't right with your parents. It'd be a good night to get them right tonight. You've been acting like a rebel, secrets, hiding things, doing things that you know they would not approve of. I'll tell you this, he ain't a preacher, but one man said, I ain't even going to give you his name. One man said this, that shame eats secrets for breakfast. And that's the truth. We got so many secrets in our church. Wives got secrets. I don't even know where this is. This ain't in the outline. This is just where we're preaching at. Husbands and wives got secrets from each other. Parents and kids, hiding apps on your phone, deleting things when it's time to turn it in at night, having a separate music account for the things you really want to listen to, having a stash of jeans that you can change into, all sorts of stuff. You ought to get that right tonight. I know you may not right now, but I'm telling you, if the Lord lets you live long enough, you'll live to regret that. You'll live to regret that. Well, we've said all the things we're going to amen about. Let's move over to the stuff we're not as excited about. You got bitterness in your heart? It'd be a good night to start getting that right. You got people that you need to forgive, and you got people that need to forgive you. It's time to do something about it right now. Do not take life for granted. You get one shot at this wonderful crazy gift that God gave us called life and you don't want to spend it wishing you had when you easily could have one thing I didn't mention earlier I was trying to skip over some stories that people might not want to be told but one thing I found that a lot of people regret are things that they could have done they were so capable of doing but they put it off long enough that when they got around to it, it was no longer possible or needed. Amen. I'm going to say some things that going to seem like it's on the nose tonight, and I don't mean to be that way. But parents, if you don't give your children attention, somebody will. That's right. 
Somebody will. Children, if you don't love your parents and respect them the way you ought to, you just need to know there's some young person that wishes they had your life. You say, nobody wishes they were me going to a Christian school. Hey, look, you're talking K-5 to 12 right here, buddy. I know exactly where you live. I promise you there's young people that wish they had your life. Had a young lady come to the church for the first time today. Her aunt started coming recently. Her name was Eden. She's 11 years old. She said this, leaving. She said, I'm coming here every day of my life. And I said, well, <laughs> Courtney was talking to her. I said, well, we only have church a couple days a week. I said, there's a lot of cleaning and grass cutting to do, though. She said, every day of my life. Don't take for granted what you think you don't love right now. Because if you don't, one day you will regret not appreciating what God has been so gracious to give you. Stop the cycle. We've admitted it. Nobody came in here with a halo on. We might as well just be real. We all got stuff, don't we? We all got these backpacks of emotions filled up that we're carrying around. It's got to stop somewhere. And when that stops... You need to be about the business of starting something new. Where do you start, preacher? You start right where you're at. You start right now. Then my third word of encouragement would be to this. When it comes to responding the appropriate way to the things that cause you regret, I encourage you to stay the course. You say, what do you mean about that? Well... It's easy to get excited about something for one day. I've started 19 diets this month. Not this year. This month. I finally cheated and paid like a couple hundred bucks to get some kind of scientific formulated fat be gone, some kind of thing. It didn't work. It didn't work. My wife is so gracious. She's began every time. We used to do monthly grocery shopping. We can't do that now for a lot of reasons. Thank you, President, and thank you, my weird diet fetish. But now she just comes and asks, what are we this week? What are we? Are we keto? Are we raw vegetarian? Are we pescatarian? Do we kill animals? Do we only kill fish? Do we not? What are we? Y'all, that's this month. Stay the course. It's easy to get pumped up tonight because the Lord's speaking to your heart. And I hope that's the start of something wonderful for you. But I'm just going to be real honest. You may go to the person that you need to get things right with and they may tell you they don't want to hear it. That's that side of preaching we don't ever talk about. Man, we just preach, hey, if you've done somebody wrong, go ask forgiveness. And we think that, oh, we did that one thing. Everything's going to be great now. We're just going to fall right back into step. Life's just going to be as good as it always is until you go to somebody and they say, you know what, I don't want to hear it. You could try to reach out to your kid that lives in your house six feet away but 6,000 miles away and say, hey, I want to start doing things as a family. And they may look at you and just... You know how kids, that's a full sentence. I'm not going to tell you what it means, but it ain't good. 
What I'm trying to get you to see is you may try to start fixing something, and it may be harder than you think. In fact, let me just say, I guarantee you it's going to be harder than you think. Do you think, I mean, I can't just imagine, David, these conversations, I know we read it so quick, and it's like, oh, yeah, he said some really good things. Well, let's put ourselves in that situation. Let's have that conversation. Hey, son, I'll tell you, I had a conversation with my dad Saturday, and I'm not going to give you the details. I was a grown man. I am a grown man. Diet failed grown man. You can just estimate what you think it to be. I'm on the side of a bush hog. He's a big man himself. He's riding the bush hog. And I'm hanging on on the side just so we can have a conversation. I know he had to work. I know I needed to work. We had things we were doing. We were just talking to each other about different things. And I'm telling you, he, he told me one thing and instantly fought back the tears. And it wasn't even anything to do with me. It was about something else. Man, it's hard to admit that we're wrong, ain't it? No, no, let me preach a little bit because you're not really picking up what I'm laying down. It's not that hard to say, hey, I was wrong. Are you still mad at me or you forgave me yet? That's a cop-out. It's hard to look in somebody's face that you love and say, hey, I failed you right here. You counted on me, and I didn't have enough integrity in this area right here. You leaned on me, and I folded like a cheap picnic chair. Notice how the air just kind of got sucked out of the room. It's called realism. It happens. It's hard. I want you to know it's going to be hard. I've been telling my kids something. (laughs) My kid told me it back the other day. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should say, yeah, you're right, or hit him or kick him. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I don't know about y'all. Started school. Things going well. I have to tell my children this all the time. Hey, do this. Daddy, I came. That's hard. And I've just started, made up my mind. I'm just going to say this every time. You know what, though? You can do hard things. You can do hard things. Last week, a hard thing was tying a shoe. Aren't you glad when that's the only hard thing you got in your life to do? Hey, you can feed the dog. I can't feed the dog. That's, That's too hard. Well, you can do hard things. This math problem, you can do hard things. Well, it finally came full circle. I found out that daddy can do hard things too. But most of the time we don't want to, do we? I'm not trying to get in your personal business. I am trying to strike a chord. It's easy to come in from work, not even talk, just respond with as few words as possible. Go lay in the bed and stare at our screens until one person starts snoring. Wake up the next morning and say, I love you, honey and do it all over again. But I'm here to tell you, church, you can do hard things. I wonder if Christ ever did any hard things. I I guarantee you, I know that you know he did. He can help you. We can do the hard work. Let me give you this example, and I'll be done. Hopefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, hopefully something that was said has at least got your mind turning. You might not be ready to deal with it right now, although I encourage you to fight against that. When it comes to these matters of doing hard things and staying the course 
and changing and starting right now. Let me give you an example to let you put a little work behind the preaching. September the 11th, 2001. Y'all remember that? I was going to a Christian school right outside of Atlanta. So my parents did what good parents should do. They raced over and they got us out of school. Nobody knew what was going on. I questioned my mother's judgment. She brought me out of school to take me to the barber shop because we had revival that night and I needed a haircut. So I don't know. Priorities. Thank God for good haircuts. Somebody say amen. amen. That's, the, that's the only time some of y'all said amen this whole time. I just want to get something in there for you. But you remember that day. Everything came crashing down. Tragic. The loss of lives. But tragic in a lot of other ways. The ruin of the community. Read stories that for months afterwards, the elderly people in the community could hardly breathe. A lot of them were having to leave just due to the dust and the settlement and the raw iron and all the different materials that were produced. And I want you to think about this. That if you showed up to Ground Zero, the site of where it all happened, you could probably find enough material to build a building. There's probably enough steel. There was probably enough usable pieces of sheetrock. There was probably enough things that you could build something. But you weren't never going to build those twin towers back out of that rubble. When you go to start doing the things we've talked about, don't think that you're going to sweep up the rubble of what came crashing down and you're going to build back everything the way that it should have been. You know what they had to do? They had to call in excavators and contractors and a whole lot of labor to clean that whole place off so they could begin to build again. You know what we want to do a lot of times? We want to run to an altar grab a couple cinder blocks, maybe a piece of sheet metal, make us a little makeshift lean-to, and say, well, I rebuilt something tonight at church. Lord, I appreciate you being so good to me. But the hard work that really needs to be done, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a bad way. Please, you know me better than that. But a lot of times the hard work that needs to be done down at the altars, we can't do because by the time it's 7 o'clock or 7.15, we're getting all scurry. we got to be done. It's time to go. We're, hold on. What are we trying to build? What are you trying to build? The truth of the matter is there's some areas in your life, there's some areas in my life that need to be totally brought down to the ground and done away with. They've not profited us. And we need to begin the work with the help of the Holy Ghost to help build some things back. He's going to be the building director, the coordinating chief construction officer. And if it's going to be right, and if it's going to last, nothing's ever going to last when you build it out of ashes and rubble. I don't come tonight pointing an accusing finger. I don't think you're bad people. 
I thank your people. And I think in everybody's life, there's some areas that the Lord can help us to totally transform. That's what salvation's about, right? There may be some things in our life that need saving tonight. And my question is this. How will you respond to regret? God bless you, preacher.